1 Corinthians, and it is a, there's a lot to this book. And what you have to understand about the, the Corinthian church and Corinth in itself was that it was uh, the Las Vegas of its time. It was a crazy city. Uh, it was a uh, matter of fact, if you were a party animal, you were known as a Corinthian. That was the nickname. They would call you a Corinthian if you were a party animal. And that was a kind of a derogatory uh, term. And so there was a lot of craziness going on. And then in the middle of, of having trying to have a church in the middle of Las Vegas, can you imagine trying to build a church in the middle of Las Vegas? They were dealing with some tough issues and some situations. And so, uh, you know, in the first six uh chapters of this book, Paul deals with, uh, he dealt with unity amongst them, and then he dealt with, uh, they were suing for just no random reason whatsoever, and just, and so he addressed those things, and, uh, but tonight we're going to jump into something, and it's basically on the principles of marriage. How many know that marriage is a good thing? Oh, I'm not convinced that any, (laughs) how many know that marriage is a good thing? Do you know God ordained marriage? Man did not. The state of Indiana gives you a certificate, but God had a covenant long before the state ever said that you were married. Did you know that? And uh, so after addressing concerns uh, for the Corinthians, we, we see Paul here. He comes to the second part of this letter, uh, chapter 7 through uh, 16. Uh, he begins to... Uh, deal with questions that they have, and he'll answer six specific questions they had for him. Um, Chapter 7 deals with marriage. Chapter 8 through 10 deals with Christian liberties. Chapter 11 deals with church conduct. Chapters 12 through 14 deals with spiritual gifts. Chapter 15 deals with the resurrection of the dead, and chapter 16 deals with giving and offering. And so they had questions. I think this is kind of cool. There's a little bit of a dialogue here. Hey, Paul, we've got these questions, and so he looks at these, and he addresses these things to help them. How many know sometimes we need help? We never stop learning, right? And so the first question deals with marriage and intimacy in marriage. Why? Well, you have to understand, the Corinthians, there was, there was a prevalence of, of Gnosticism there. There was a prevalence of uh, evil there because of the uh, temple Aphrodite, they would celebrate her, who is the, the goddess of sensuality, and there was a thousand priestesses or prostitutes that would come out every night, and they would raise money for the temple, and so there's a lot of just craziness going on. How many know that the world has been crazy for a long time? All right. We think that we live in the worst time, but you know what? There were some bad things that were happening then, and so it, there was a lot of inherent evil happening, and um, and they were at this opinion that basically, you know, uh, the sexual appetite was nothing different than just like having a physical appetite. If I'm hungry, I need to go eat, and so they treated sexual things in the same way. It was just kind of like, hey, I just got to go do this scratch, and so basically, Paul is addressing this, and so um, the this split the church into two groups both extreme in their position. One group there said, hey, since purity in, in, in the maturity realm is impossible, we can do whatever we want with our bodies. Hey, this is hard to do, and so we might as well just do what we want. It's kind of like, hey, uh, you know, I've been saved, and so I get to s- just do whatever I want. No, that's not what the Bible says. There's this walk. God gives us grace, but how many know that God freed us from sin? He didn't free us to sin. All right. I, I, hey, you, you, might, you might as well get with me on this one. And the other group, they beat themselves up and bruised their bodies in an attempt to rid themselves of evil within themselves. And so they were on the extreme other side. as oh, woe is me. I can't do this. And they didn't, they didn't think that they were free from the things that God had freed them from. So due to their cultural confusion, they had questions. And so Paul addresses these. And so if we look here. Chapter 7, verse 1, and the principles of marriage, if you need a subheading. I, and, and we're going to touch some tough, touchy subjects. Everyone, this is PG-13 tonight, all right? Little PG-13, get ready. If you've never been to a marriage conference, you're going to hear some things that you might hear at a marriage conference tonight, all right? So check this out. It says this, now concerning the matter about which you wrote, it is good for, it, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Verse 2. 
But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman or, or touch a woman if you, if, if you have a different translation. Some people it may say touch. How many have a Bible that says touch? All right. All right. Um, Paul is quoting their question here. He, they asked this question, so he's, he's quoting it back. He didn't just think of this. No, he's answering their question because, you know, it was just full of immorality and sexual sensuality. But Paul will later explain uh, to these certain people they have a, a gift whereby they are not inclined to intimacy or they're not tempted by intimacy. You know, um, I talked about this a little bit on Sunday about being tempted. Some people are tempted by certain things. Some people are not tempted by certain things. I use the illustration. If you put an eggplant in front of me, I could skip on eggplant all day long. But if you put a piece of cheesecake in front of me, I am tempted to dive into that cheesecake. And the church said, amen. All right. So, so Paul says, uh, for everyone else, you know, the people that are not easily tempted into uh, uh, these things, everyone else, marriage is the way to avoid immorality. He's pretty straightforward on this. And uh, it's, it's interesting that he would even say that. So notice it's clear here. I, I should say this. Notice it's clear on who you should marry. So number one, each man his what? Own what? All right, I know. And each woman, her own what? All right, is that pretty clear? Each man, his own what? And each woman, her own? Okay, there's no fluidity to that statement. I don't care what culture says. I don't care what the modern world says. There's no fluidity to that. There are two genders. Come on, somebody. Yeah, come on. And there's no fluidity to the quantity of, of that, okay? One, uh, every man should have what? His own or one wife, and every woman should have her own or one. Okay, you guys are with me. Good. I didn't design it. God designed it that way. God designed it that way. And it's always been that way. And so, uh, you know, he designed marriage long, long, long time ago, before the church was even established, the, the covenant of marriage was established. It's been around a long time. And we have to understand that due to the rampantness of sexual immorality in Corinth, Paul is simply saying this, hey, be married to that, to that one person, that one wife or that one husband so you don't fall into sin. Verse 3 says this, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife of her husband. Put a pin in there. Let's have an altar call. Everyone's uncomfortable, right? For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. How many knew this was in the Bible? How many have this on your refrigerator? The King James Version says benevolence um, instead of conjugal, I, I believe. And it means affection and intimacy with your spouse. You know, with your spouse, the one that you married, you ought to have intimacy. You ought to have a closeness with that person like you have with no one else. Right? They've seen you at your best. They've seen you at your worst, right? They've seen you in the morning when you wake up and you got stinky breath and your hair is all astir, right? And they still love you. How many know that's true intimacy right there? And when we enter marriage covenant, our, our bodies, listen, according to Scripture, are no longer ours. They are our spouses. Some of you are like, oh, no. The husband is to give his wife the intimacy she desires, and likewise, the wife is to give to her husband the intimacy that he requires. You don't have to poke your spouse. Come on. Some of you are maybe wanting to do that, but can I tell you something about the Bible? It is not politically correct. It's not, because most of us, we hear that and we think, I'm going to do whatever I want, right? Well, this tells me that it's not about you, but it's about you 
loving your spouse, come on, meeting your spouse's need. And how many know, <laughs> we say this all the time, I like to say this, happy wife, happy life. And if I am making her happy, guess what? My life becomes happy and vice versa, right? Husband, you have a duty to your wife. Wife, you have a duty to your husband. You are to maintain intimacy so that neither of you are tempted by Satan. mind-blowing. It's really quiet in here. You know, when I do premarital counseling, I, I typically go through 10 things, and one of these things, and, and I don't, and there's no kids in here. All right, I don't think there is. One of the things that I go through in these 10 things that I go through in any premarital counseling is I, I talk about sex, and I leave it right almost to the very end. It's like the ninth thing that I talk about in premarital counseling, and I love, it's, it's funny to me because these couples come in, and they, and they know it's coming because I, I tell them, I'm like, hey, we're going to talk about this next week. And they're always like squirming and, you know, nervous about it. And they don't really know what the pastor's going to ask them. And they're a little bit scared. It almost, it's kind of comical to me. It's kind of funny to watch. And I, um, but I explain to them, this is God's design for marriage. You know, the Bible says, be fruitful and what? Multiply. God designed sex. None of us would be here if it wasn't. For your parents, right? And so God designed that thing, and, and but God designed it in the confines of marriage. He's very clear on that, very clear on that. One man, <laughs> one woman in the confines of marriage. And so uh, you are to give to your spouse and your spouse to you intimacy, emotionally, and, 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 and just uh, be all that you can be, not to sound like them, like the military. Be all that you can be for your spouse, right? If they say, well, I only want intimacy when I want it, and you know what I simply say to you? You, you know, if like a, a young couple says that, you know, someone's like, well, I, I don't know if I'm ready to do that. Well, you might want to rethink marriage because the Bible is very clear about this in this point. So uh, married couples, uh, listen closely to this. I love this statement. Sex is not a weapon to fight with. It's a tool that builds and brings unity into your marriage. Let me say that again. That is tweetable right there. Is that even what it's called anymore, Twitter? That is exable, whatever it's called now. Sex is not a weapon to fight with. It's a tool that builds and brings unity in your marriage. But what do most of us do when we get in a fight with our spouse? All right, I'm just going to leave that right there. You can think about that. The Bible says this, the two shall become what? In their intimacy. Their closeness and their bond. And, and, and the, in those intimate moments. Look at this, verse 5. Do not deprive one another except perhaps, here's the only reason, all right, here's the only reason. Do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to what? That's the only reason. Ooh. But then come back together so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. How many know that this is co contrary to what the world believes should be done, right? What do we do? When marriages are struggling, let's take a break. Let's separate. The Bible says, nope, do the opposite. It's amazing, right? I told you the Bible's not politically correct. The world often prescribes separate for a period of time. Go, go find yourself. Discover your wants. Determine what's wrong. The Bible says this, nope, come back together because intimacy is made and oneness is brought back together. Husbands and wives or to give themselves to each other because intimacy binds people together uniquely. Amen? Nobody in this building, for all the married couples in here, knows you like your spouse knows you. You know, some of you have been married so long, and you can finish the, the sentence that's about to come out of your, your spouse's mouth, right? You don't, sometimes you don't even have to say anything. You can look across the room and know exactly what they're thinking, right? How many, how many know what I'm talking about? You know what? This will help you with temptation of reaching outside of your marriage for intimacy. Come on. When you work together as a couple and say, hey, we're going, we're going to be in this thing together, amen? 
so verse 6 says, now as a concession, not a command, all right, this is a, a concession, not a command, I say this, chapter 7 is an interesting one, because we see Paul here, he's giving, um, not necessarily command here, but he's giving his opinion, you know what that tells me, that pastors at times, hey, can say, hey, this is my opinion on this thing, now it's a very important when I give my opinion to tell you, hey, this is not what maybe the word of God says, or this could be this, so just to clarify those things, it's it's interesting. So look at this, verse uh, uh, 7 uh, says this, it says, I wish that all were as, as I myself am. This says, I wish you were all, uh, basically a way to say that, that's a very complicated way to say that, but this is basically he's saying, I wish you were all single like me, is what Paul's saying. That's what he's saying right there. I wish you were all single like me. And although Paul is, is single here at this point, there are, there are two strong indications that he had been married previously. Um, there's, you know, a lot of school of thought on this uh, still to this day. Here's number one reason, because the rabbis taught that God's command was to be fruitful and to what? Multiply. They, that's one of their verses. Hey, this is what God tells us. Genesis 1.28, it commanded them, and, and they were to, to be given to, to be holy and godly men. Therefore... They said, whoever didn't marry and have children violated the commandments and concerning the law. So, so for Paul to be blameless in that group, okay, he would have had to have, have been married. So here's the second thing. Paul was most likely a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish uh, Supreme Court. And we can look in Acts. He talks back to when he was part of that issues and before his conversion. So to be a member of that group, one of the requirements was to be married. And Jews believe that, that he who was married was more prone to mercy. How many know that's a true statement? Maybe that's your statement. Maybe you say, that's not my statement, Pastor, all right? I don't know. Uh, but that leaves the question, if Paul was married, what happened to his wife? And here's what we, what we kind of can conclude. Some scholars believe one way, some believe another. Some suggest that she had died, okay? Um, history, on the other hand, sides with the idea that, that maybe she left him when he converted to Christianity. And so, but, but, uh, so however it happened, we see Paul's just saying, hey, I wish that you were all single like I am. If you're single in the house, let me tell you something. You're in good company because you're with the company of Paul, all right? So look at this. But each has his own gift from God, one of a kind and one of another. And so um, this is interesting. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, Jesus replied, and this is interesting. He said this, not everyone can accept the word, but only those to whom it has been given. Verse 12, for there are eunuchs. And if you don't know what that is, Google it, all right? Uh, uh, who were, <laughs> maybe not, maybe not, maybe don't Google it, all right? Um, uh, uh, who, were, who were born that way, all right? And there were eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. Those were people, those were males who lost their ability to have kids. They were usually put into the kingdom and they were part of the queens. Uh, you know, they would help because the king wanted his to be thoroughbreds, right? He didn't want any men coming in and slipping their seed into there. So these guys, they served a role as eunuchs. And so some have been made eunuchs by others. And there were those who, cho who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. That's Jesus' assert. So what is Jesus saying here? How many know that? Sometimes it's like, man, that is really confusing. But Jesus said some are born without a need or a desire to be married. Others, uh, uh, like those given over to the king's harem, uh, uh, were involuntarily made that way. But I suspect Jesus was speaking of those who made themselves eunuchs in the sense that they said, hey, I'm not going to get involved. I'm just going to be single. And my singular thing that I want to do in my life is to serve the kingdom of God. That's it. He's just making a little case here. Verse 8 says this. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Or is he saying that marriage is bad? No, not, not, no, he's not. He's just giving you both sides of the coin. If you're single in the house, stop feeling pressured like you got to get married. Let me take a little stress off of you. Do it in God's timing. Stop trying to rush it, right? All right? All right. And if you're married in the house, praise God, you got your spouse, man, you got somebody to grow old with that's going to look at you and go, I love your wrinkles. I love your gray hair, right? 
So Paul says if you are at least uh, at a place where you can live by yourself, good for you. Good job. He says, I, I wish all men were like that, living in single-mindedness and in freedom. But notice he says it, it's good. He doesn't say you, you have to remain single. He said it's good, but you don't have to remain single. Why? Look at the next verse. But if they cannot exercise self-control, everyone say self-control. Come on, everyone say self-control. They should what? For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. I think it's safe to say Paul enjoyed his single state, but I, I, think it was, I think it was advantageous to Paul to be single. Number one, he was a missionary, and he just kind of was like, hey, the Lord's sending me here. He didn't have to worry about a wife. He didn't have to worry about his family. He just went and did what Paul, what the Lord was telling Paul to do for that moment. And, uh, but while it worked for him, he understood that it's better for some to get married than to burn with passion and to be overcome by lust. And, and, and this is normal, and for the majority of people that we know, probably 98% of the people, this is good for them, all right? So check this out, verse 10. The married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. Okay, so no, he goes from opinion here. Hey, now I'm giving a command. Not He says from me, but he says not I, but, but from the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, all right? Buckle up. Everyone say buckle up. To the married, I give this charge or this command, and not really from, from me, but from the Lord. Wives, don't leave your husbands, and vice versa. Can I tell you something? You're going to hear me say this a few times tonight. God hates divorce. Did you know divorce rates in the church are equal to divorce rates in the secular world? It should not be that way. It should not be that way. All right? Divorce... Is, is first mentioned in the Bible with Moses and the people of Israel. And, and, and divorce, listen to me, divorce came about because of the hardening of hearts. Why do people get divorces? Because their heart has become hardened towards their spouse. A person who seeks a divorce has a hard heart. Three reasons biblically for a divorce. You ready for this? Abuse. That could be verbal, that could be physical, that could be those things. Number two, abandonments, just, just total neglect of, of, of a you as a person and infidelity. Abuse, abandonment, and infidelity. Notice it does not say he makes me mad or she's a slob. Those three things, that's, that's it. I, man, say, boy, Pastor, you're really throwing it at us tonight. No, the Bible's throwing it at you. I told you it's not politically correct. I told you to buckle up, get yourself ready, because this, this is a challenging word to us. God takes the, the covenant uh, of marriage seriously. How many know that? He does. He takes it so seriously. When, when you sign that covenant, when you, when you sign that paper, when you say I do to that person in front of people and God, you make a covenant, a lifelong covenant with that person. That's why I always tell young people, hey, you know what? Be choosy in who you want to marry. All right. Jesus says, unless it has to do with infidelity, come on, and you remarry, hey, you are sinning. It's, it's, hey, not my words. Those are Jesus' words, all right? You can take it up with him. Ooh, okay. Say, Pastor, well, I don't like that very much. Well, repent, and God will forgive you. All right. He says this. Don't leave your husbands, period. Don't. Don't leave your wife, period. You know, I, I thought this was great. Marriage is like a violin. How many know that marriage, uh, if it's like a violin, it doesn't work without strings, right? All right, but check this out. But once the music stops, guess what? The strings are still attached. That's good. Marriage is like a violin, and it doesn't work without strings. But once the music stops, guess what? The strings are still attached. Verse 11. But if she does... She should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. So after saying you should not leave your spouse, the verse above, why does Paul put this statement in there? But if she does, you know, or they do leave, he's realistic. He understands the nature of people. How I many know we're selfish people? 
We want what we want. And sometimes what we want outweighs what God wants. Right? We're selfish people. He understood the the, the fleshly nature. Even even though it's against God's command, Paul understood the frailty of, of of our flesh. It says this, and the husband should not divorce his wife. According to this passage, the wife and husband who leaves their spouse have two options, to remain unmarried or to return to their spouse for reconciliation. This is interesting. I, I saw this. I, has anybody ever heard of this, this guy named John Ripple? Anybody? Okay. Probably doesn't ring a bell. He's a 70-year-old man out of Kansas who, who said he robbed a, a Kansas City bank so he could get away from his wife. He robbed a bank because he wanted to get away from his Man, I don't know how bad the, the home situation was. And, and check this out. So he robbed this bank. He went in, and he gave the teller a note, and they, they had whatever cash on hand. It was like $3,000. This was his first offense. And, and so he literally takes the money, and he goes over to the guard there, and he turns himself in. How bad does your marriage have to be? But but check this out. It says uh, he robbed this bank and, and so he could get away from his wife. Was sentenced on Tuesday to six months of home confinement. <laughs> that judge knew what they were doing, right? Ripple went to the bank of labor uh, uh, of labor a block from the police headquarters last September. He gave a note to the teller saying he had a gun and demanding money. And after the teller handed him the cash, he turned himself in. And so, uh, man, how bad does it have to be? I, I say that, you know, that's a funny story, but, you know, it kind of hits home, right? Verse 12, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord. So Paul's clarifying, hey, this is not just my opinion. This is what the Lord's saying. If any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she uh, consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. So if a woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So what happens when, you know, how many know the Bible says not to be unequally yoked? So what happens when, you, when you're married to somebody and then you give your life to Christ and your spouse doesn't run with you to church or, you know, and doesn't go to church with you, doesn't have the same ideal? So he's talking about that, state, that statement right there. He's saying, hey, don't divorce that person, but instead be a light to that person. Show them the love of Jesus. Show them what it is to be Christ-like. Show them, let them, let Jesus, the Jesus in you, rub off on them when you get home so that they understand what is going on inside of you. Can you imagine, Paul's saying, don't get a divorce for that reason. Uh, if that was a qualifier for you to get a divorce, imagine the, the altars would be full on Sundays for people being like, I need to get saved so I can divorce my spouse. Again, I'll say it again. God hates divorce. And listen, if you're here and you're, you've been through a divorce, I am not pointing at you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I believe in God's grace. I believe in God's mercy. I'm just, I'm just telling you what the scripture says, all right? Verse 14, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. So if his wife is saved and she's going to church, uh, it says that the husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So what does that mean? Usually that word holiness means this, set apart, right? What that is saying here, in this case, it refers to a special, special situation that the unbelieving spouse is exposed to God's teaching. It doesn't mean that they're saved because you're saved, all right? Nobody else could save your soul but you, all right? You are the only person that can confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You can't live on grandma's faith. You can't live on your parents' faith. You can't live on your spouse's faith, all right? And so uh, this doesn't mean that they uh, were saved, but they're blessed because they are linked to a believer. That's what that means, all right? Verse 15, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. So if someone's saved, and their partner is not saved, and they're like, I, I don't want to do and they want to go. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. How many know that God is a God of peace? Can I tell you something? If a man is blatantly mistreating his wife, you know what, and they came to me for counseling, I would say, hey, 
try to get out of that situation. If they are abusing them, get out of that situation. Having said that, however, we are not to use this argument of peace as an excuse to walk out of our marriage when we feel like it's less than perfect. I will say this. Marriage is hard work. How many would be brave enough to raise your hand with your spouse up here and say marriage is hard? Put your hand down, Tristan. (laughs) And honestly, if we aren't careful, this is a loophole Christians use all too often to get what they want. And it should be tightened. Short of physical abuse or neglect uh, in your marriage, you know, and, and, and God doesn't want you to be at heartache, but, but you know what? You are to stay and try to work that thing out. There's been times, you know, my mom told stories of my, my grandparents. And she says, I remember my mom being so mad at my dad at times that she was grabbing dishes out of the cabinet and throwing them at him against the wall. Anybody ever done that? You don't have to raise your hand. You know, marriage is tough, right? And, and if, you, if you talk to enough people, come on, I'm just going to say this. If you talk to enough people, you'll listen to enough voices, you'll find a voice that will say, hey, you need to leave, right? So be careful because far too many marriages break up because we don't want to take the full counsel of God, but we'll take what a counselor said or our best friend told us over what God has told us. So marriage is forever. I want to say marriage is forever. Can I tell you something? Uh, One of the things that I strive to do is teach my kids that. They need to understand that. It's going to be work. There's going to be effort. You know, um, me and Tristan, when we were young, man, when you're young, you, you look at marriage and you think, oh, it's just rainbows and unicorns and it's so great. And then you get into marriage, and it's work. It's hard sometimes. And there's seasons where it's really, really tough, and you got to dig in deep, right? That's what real love is. It's what real love is. It's not based on, oh, you know, just a, a shallow emotion. It's deeper than that. Verse 16. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So, I've seen this play out, you know, as a youth pastor. I've, I've heard it. Pastor TJ, as I was a youth pastor, had, had young girls, you know, like 16-year-old girls come to church and say, I, I, I like this guy. I'm like, hey, does he go to church? Is he, is he saved? No, but my hope is that if I bring him to church, he'll get saved. Well, that's not how that works because the Bible says don't be, what, unequally yoked. And I can't tell you time and time and time again that I saw young people come in and it's like, oh, this person, I'm going to get them saved. And that person began to slip and fall and fall back and fall out of out of church. Come on. And so that that is just a warning to us. So live. Here's the next subheading. Live as you are called. I like this part. Verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord. This is under the, the subheading of marriage. Okay. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all my churches. I like that. Uh, You never know what the next year or the next month or the next day holds, right, in your life. Marriage is tricky. When you get married, you're not really thinking about 20 years ahead. You know, when you get married, you think, oh, everything's going to be great. But then, you know, something comes along and your spouse gets chronically ill or something happens and, you know, circumstances happen in in your life or infidelity gets, you know, comes into the picture. But but this is what 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 Paul's saying here. Stick with your calling of God on your life, whatever that may be. So look at this. Verse 16. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at that time uh, of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but 
I don't know if that is even proper in uncircumcision, but, but keeping the commandments of God, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Not only does this relate to your marriage situation, uh, but in every area. The Bible says this, be who you are. Don't try to be something that you are not to win your spouse. I see this, you know, and and I, Micah could probably attest to this. I had, I knew someone that went to Bible college. I won't call them out by name, but I knew someone that went to Bible college, and they went into Bible college, and they said, going into Bible college, man, I feel like that God has called me to do kids ministry, and that is going to be my emphasis when I'm there in Bible college. And, he, and I mean, literally a month or two into Bible college, guess what? He met a, a young lady, and her call was to be in the mission field. And guess what? Next time I seen him, he said, man, I'm really feeling the call to go to the mission field. Interesting, right? Be who God Called you to be. Yeah, you you can be married to your spouse, but you know what? You have a calling of God on you. Be true to who you are. So stick with the calling God has has given to you. If that person is right for you uh, to marry, guess what? They'll compliment your your calling. Me and Tristan are a good compliment. I am unorganized. She is organized. I like to talk. She doesn't like to talk. I'm good looking. She's good looking. You th- yeah, I got you guys, didn't I? I know better. Verse 21. <laughs> Were you bond servants when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. So if you, if you are a bond servant or a slave, Don't try to escape, but guess what? If you are set free, go for it. So he's saying, just be yourself, doing doing all things for the glory of God and have a spirit of contentment. Just, God, where I'm at right now, I'm so glad to be here right now in this moment. Verse 22, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Amen. Likewise, who he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. So Romans 1.1 says this. Paul, look look at this. I like this. Paul says this in Romans 1.1. Paul, a servant of what? Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So this verse, Romans 1.1, gives us the dynamic of a, of a Christian right here, of Christianity. What is that, you say? That the slave is free in Christ while the free man is a slave to Christ. Does that make sense to you? Let me say that again. That the slave is free in Christ while the free man is slave to Christ. So Paul's saying this right here. A servant. God, I, a servant of who? Christ Jesus. I am free, but I'm a servant of Christ. That's it. Verse 23. You were bought with the price. Woo! Do not become a servant of men. You, you, how many know that God bought you with a price? <laughs> he bought you with a beautiful price. So do not become a, a, a servant of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let, uh, let there let him remain with God. So uh, the, I, I looked this up, and I think this is correct. The highest paid athlete in the world in 2023 is Cristiano Ronaldo. He is a 38-year-old soccer player, phenom, and he is slated to receive this year $136 million in 2023. That will buy you three dozen eggs. It's a joke. And you can guarantee with all that money coming in and, and the team that he plays for, I think they're owned by uh, the Saudi Arabia. I don't know. I don't understand all that. But, but, but you can guarantee with that kind of investment in this player, he's going to have the best trainers. He's going to have the best dietitians there working with him. They are going to do everything to keep him healthy, to keep his energy up because he's 38. I, I hate to tell him he's about to reach 40 and it's all downhill from there. I'm just joking. Uh, but, but they're going to give him the best everything uh, that, that they can because he is a huge investment and he and, and just because of his ability to play soccer. $136 million. You know, that's a drop in the bucket to what Christ paid for you. 
The cost of Christ's blood is way higher than that. Therefore, know that God's going to see to it that you are tended to well, that whatever comes down life's path, he, he is going to be there. Whatever happens in your life, his plan is going to work out for the good. And so you have to just trust him in that process. Amen? Trust in the Lord God with all your heart and lean not what to your own understandings and all your ways acknowledge him and God will what? Direct your paths. So this is saying this, hey, Remember, God's got a calling on you individually, and, and don't be a slave. Come on. Just because you're married doesn't mean you have to be a slave to what, whew, come on, to what God has planned for you, or to what you don't have to give up what God has planned for you, all right? Here's the next portion of this, the unmarried and the widowed. Here we go, verse 25. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command, for the, uh, command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. So, again, offering his opinion here, Paul uh, reiterates that the single state allows one to be singular, right? Single. Everyone say single. I talked to a young man last night that I hadn't talked to in a while. And uh, he is single, and he's probably in his in his upper I don't know, 20s, and I, and I just told him, I, you know, and I said it without even thinking about it, and I said, when are you going to get married? And, and honestly, that's not a very smart statement to tell people because they should be, they should take their time and marry the right person, come on, right? Better to be slow to marry than to be in a hurry to get married. And, uh, but but it, it's interesting, so um, he's saying this, if you are married, stay married. So verse, I, I lost my place here. Verse 27, are, are you bound to a wife? Uh, do not, that's a question, do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. If you're married, he's saying this, stay married. If you're single, don't strive to find a wife or a husband. Verse 28, but if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles and I would spare you that. He's just saying this. Those who are single and remain single, guess what? You don't have to deal with the worldly troubles that sometimes marriage can bring into a situation. Because marriage consists of two imperfect people. I hate to tell you that. Your spouse is not just imperfect. So are you. Amen. Two imperfect people um, that there are days of struggle and differences and difficulty. Sometimes. I'm going to be transparent here. Sometimes me and Kristen... Man, sometimes we'll pass each other in the in the hallway and not even say a word. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? And when we get to that way, man, sometimes, man, the spirit of God will just get on me, and I'll just go kiss her on her face until she breaks, whether she's mad at me or she laughs at me, one of the two. If your marriage has days like this, can I tell you something? You are not alone. Somehow, sometimes we think, oh, I'm the only person that has to go through this in my marriage. That's a lie. Oh, it's real easy to look polished on Sunday morning, right? It's real easy to come in here and sit by your spouse and put your arm around them and be like, oh, yeah, everything's great at home, but you fought all the way to church. Come on. Put on a perception of that. Paul says marriage will bring its own challenges. How many can say amen to that? Oh, you guys said it really quiet. Verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The, uh, the appointed time has grown very short. Whew, I love this. I love this verse. How many know that the days are short? Man, the, things are accelerating so fast. I, uh, I, don't, I don't say that to scare you. I, don't, I, 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 I say that to prepare you, to, to help you get your focus right. Get your eyes focused on Jesus Christ and him alone and stop worrying about the things of this world because our eternal view is much greater than this temporal view here on this earth, all right? So, I, um, and I agree with Paul. He said, you know, our time is short. James says life is like a vapor, right? You know, sometimes I, I look in the mirror and I think, man, when did my dad show up in the mirror? It's a vapor, right? Whether the Lord comes back, for us today, or whether we live it out our full lives, time is rapidly coming closer and closer to the coming of the Lord. 
and his coming is near. Amen. Paul's talking about that here. Hey, we're still preaching about it today. Say, Pastor, why didn't it happen? Hey, because God is gracious and he is showing mercy right now. And listen, I'm just going to tell you, man, get your heart right with God. Repent and come to know him. Come on, seek him with all your heart because the time is short. Paul then gives these three obstacles or pitfalls that could keep us from investing in things eternal. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Wow. That's a <laughs> so here's the first pitfall area that we could fall uh, prone to is this area of relationships with our spouse. And there are people who miss out on being engaged in the kingdom of God because they're caught up in family relationships. I'm just being honest. There are people who are, are called to ministry, called to missions and other opportunities who will trade a kingdom opportunity for a relationship with a person. Don't believe me. Okay. Esau. Esau traded his birthright for stew. But yet, come on, in our society, man, sometimes we trade the calling and the kingdom of God, what God wants to do for us, because we're interested in, in, in some guy or some gal. All right. The call of God often, you know, in those situations is replaced with, with marriage. And, and then, you know, and then, you know, okay, all right, well, I'll get to it, uh, you know, uh, after I, I get married. And then, then we have kids. And well, once the kids are out of diapers, then, then I'll get to it. Then I'll surrender to you, Lord. Well, and, and then, you know, I've got to get my kids to sports. And then it's on and on and on. And then all of a sudden you're in this place and you're older and you say, man, where, what has happened to my life? There was a call on my life. The warning here is for married couples to get outside themselves, get engaged in something bigger than this life. What is that? The kingdom of God. It's eternity. It's, it's big. It's huge. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God, right? Mom and dad. Woo! Mom and dad, seek that first. The rest will fall into place. Your marriage will be made right. Your kids will follow the Lord. Come on, right? Your job will fall into place. Seek that kingdom first. Before Tristan and I ever got engaged, I told her this. I remember I remember having this conversation with her. I told her, I said, I am called of God. I feel like I got a call of God on my life. And before we could ever get to this place of marriage, I need to know that you are okay with whatever that looks like. That may mean I may have to take you to Indiana from California at one point in your life. Here we are, 20 years later, and, and we have always attempted to put the kingdom of God first in our life. That's the first thing we want to see. That's the first thing I want to know. God, what, what do you have for us? Because guess what? I, I love my wife. I, I, I dearly love her. But listen, the kingdom of God is eternal. Amen? So look at this. Verse 30. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. So the second pitfall or obstacle is keeping eternity, uh, eternity's values in view of the area of emotions. How many know we live in an emotional society? Right? Uh, emotion. Like the, the most widespread disease of our day is the eye disease. I didn't get what I want. My feelings matter. Come on, somebody, right? People are focused on themselves, analyzing why they are depressed and why they are discouraged. And, and truth is, uh, uh, the more we analyze ourselves, the more depressed we'll become. Right? You know what Paul's remedy is to that? Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's it. In other words, get involved with others and what they're doing, all right? Man, it's amazing what will happen when you, when you get involved with other people and, and, and it will free you up. When, when people are down here praying in the altars, get down there and weep with them and get down there and cry with them and get down there and intercede with them. And God's doing something in their life. Hey, I just got a new job. Rejoice with them. Yeah, you got a new job. That's amazing. 
And those who buy as though they had no goods, verse 31, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away faster and faster and faster. The third obstacle here Paul names is possessions. We lose our eternal view of the kingdom of God. You know, we get caught up in our portfolio, our money, our home, our career. Come on. We get preoccupied with our houses. And can I, our cars, and you know what? The Bible says that the moth and the rust will destroy those things. How many love your house? I love my house. Guess what? It's going to be destroyed one day. Just bottom line, so. <laughs> and we get so preoccupied with those things. So, and you know, one of the principles that helps us with that is tithing, and it helps us keep our focus on the right place. You'll you serve God or you'll serve mammon is what Jesus said, or you'll serve money. Serve God or you'll serve money. One of the two things. And so we got to walk that, that line really carefully. You say, but, you know, Pastor, I, you know, I understand. It takes money to live. I understand, you know, you got to have those things, those resources to do things. But listen, God is eternal. Money is not. The value of the dollar is going down, 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 down. The value of the Lord is going up, 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 up. So the Lord isn't saying don't focus on your relationships. He's not saying don't, don't focus on your emotions or, or your possessions. But, but uh, you know, if you do that, you know, he's not, he's, he's not saying, hey, I want you to be miserable. Quite the opposite, really. He, his intentions for you are to be free of all those things and seek the kingdom of God first. This is number one priority in my life. You, Lord. You. You are number one. Everyone say, Lord, you are number one. Now you said it. You got to live it now. The time is short. Seek Jesus first. Seek the kingdom first. Not marriage, not emotions, not possessions. And if we aren't careful, listen, you, you know, and I say this very carefully, those things can become idols in our life. Did you know your marriage can become an idol in your life? You know your possessions can become an idol in your life. Anything that comes between God and you is an idol is what the Bible tells us. Be about eternal work. Maintain a walk with the Lord personally. Serve him enthusiastically. Come on, right? When you come into the house of the Lord, praise the Lord. I love you, Lord. Right? Enthusiastically. And you'll be blessed abundantly. How many want to be blessed abundantly? Verse 32. I want to be free. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the worldly things, how to, to please his wife. If you are married you will inevitably find yourself caring for your spouse, and you should. And if you don't, man, pray, 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 pray. The warning here is if we are not careful, our spouse, like I said this earlier, can become our idol. So sure, love your spouse, care for them, but keep Jesus and the kingdom of God in its right place. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Uh, here's my priorities in life. I think I said this when I first moved here. This is this is the way I operate. Number one, I'm a child of God. That's my first priority in my life. I am a child of God. Before I am your pastor, I am a child of the most high God. Number two, I am the husband to that woman back there. Uh, and I have been married to her for 20 years, and she is my wife. Number three, I am the father to my kids. Why do you put your spouse before your kids? Because I had her before them, and I'll have her after they're gone and out of the house. I love them. Don't, don't think I don't love them, but guess what? Man, when I'm old and I need help in, in getting out of bed in the morning, that woman's probably going to be the person helping me get out of the bed, not Zaylee. I'm a father to my kids. And number four, I'm a pastor. That's my priorities right there. Hey, I'm a child of God. I'm a husband to that woman. I'm a father to my kids. And then I'm a pastor. Being a child of God is and should always be our first goal. Amen. Seek first the kingdom of God, right? And the rest will be added unto you. I mean, how many know that God wants you to be the best husband and the best wife that you can be? God wants you to be a good father and God wants you to be a good mother and God wants you to be the best at what you do at your job. Seek the kingdom of God first and all those other things will just fall into place. Verse 34. And his interests are divided and the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about 
the thing that the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. So this is just like the verse we read before, just split the roles here. So the woman who is married has an obligation to please her husband. And the single sister, on the other hand, has the opportunity to be about pleasing the Lord's singularity. That's just the focus there. And so it's not a negative if you're married. You say, I can't please the Lord. No, 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 it's not what it's saying. It's just saying, hey, you know, if you're not married, you have the focus to say, hey, Lord, I can just serve you, and I can give you 100%. Verse 35, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So. There's a woman in Scripture who models this beautifully, and her name is Anna. Anybody ever heard of Anna in the Scripture? All right. And Luke 2, 37, 38 says this. And, and, and then as a widow, she had been married, and then she's a widow. Until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, okay? There she is. She's serving in the temple. She's worshiping. She's fasting. She's prayer at night and day. Verse 38, and coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God, to speak of him and all that were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna, you know, she, it's interesting. She didn't panic about her single state when she lost her husband. She had, had been married but had lost her husband. But she, she realized that she had an opportunity to serve God without distraction. There she was in the temple worshiping God. There she was praying. There she was seeking the Lord. If you're single, widowed, or divorced, hey, I'm going to just give you some advice. Look to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. Walk with the Lord. Hang out with the Lord in the temple like Anna did and, and hang out with God's people. You know what? If you hang out with God's people, they will build you up and they will help you out. Come on. And, and she stayed there year after year, not because she was miserable, but because she found joy and peace, exactly what her soul was craving. And I'll tell you this. So will you. Verse 36 says this. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards the betrothed, if his passions are strong and it is to be, let him do as he wishes. Let him marry. It is no sin. So after talking about the freedom from uh, the single state uh, in his day uh, of arranged marriages, you know, that was the thing back then. Paul, Paul goes on to talk about uh, about and, and, and to the fathers of unmarried daughters. He's saying, hey, he's saying this, hey, you know, if that's the case, let them get married. If a man's daughter desires to be married, that is acceptable. Verse 37. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having this desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as the betrothed, he will do well. Verse 38. So then he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So on the other hand, Paul says, hey, a father who can guide his daughter into living a single life, uh, uh, devoting herself to the Lord, does a good thing. Agree with that or not, it's in the Bible. And the Bible is not politically correct. I'll say it again. <laughs> so Paul's argument for being single is, is solely based on serving the Lord without distraction. Verse 39, I'm almost done here. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Verse 40, yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as, as she is. And I think that I, too, have the spirit of God. So Paul's answering the question given to him about marriage. He, Paul ta uh, tells the Corinthians, that is that a wife is bound to her husband until death separate till death does do us part, right? Famous line and in, in, come on, right? And after that, she is at liberty to remarry as long as they are believers and it's the Lord's will. Come on. Not her will, but God's will, right? Number one. For centuries people have read First Corinthians seven and, and concluded that that Paul speaks so highly of being single that he has a problem with marriage, and that's not true. I'll give you some good examples here. Paul elevates marriage in Ephesians and uses the greatest example of Christ and his church. Let me read it to you real fast. Okay, we're, we're almost done. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. Husbands, everyone say husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with with the word, verse 27, so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or that any such thing 
that she might be holy and without blemish. So, so the husband, his job is to lay down his life for his wife. The wife's role is to submit to her husband. The husband loves his wife. The wife respects her husband. How many know that wives, wives are more emotional and they need to know that they're loved? Men have a tendency to want respect. They need respect. They need to, uh, you know, people to understand that, hey, uh, I need respect in my life. So even unbelievers can understand the imagery of how Christ loves his church by looking at, at their own marriage. Yet, here in 1 Corinthians, we see Paul saying singleness has its own beauty, its own importance, and its own role in the body of Christ. Being single is not to be looked upon dreadedly or merely endured. And maybe, you know, I said this earlier, maybe we shouldn't pressure people when, they, when they're not married as fast as we think they should be married. Maybe we should just keep our mouths shut. Come on, somebody. I'll leave that right there. Last, here we go. Marriage, marriage is a picture of, but in a sense, singleness is a reality of, of a single person can say, hey, I'm linked to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Whether single, here we go, ready, we're almost done. Whether single, whether married, widowed, or divorced, be content on wherever you are and where God has placed you in this moment. And whatever your position is, can I tell you this? I don't care if you're married, I don't care if you're widowed, I don't care if you're divorced, I don't care if you're single, I don't, make Jesus Christ your passion. Amen? Amen. Amen. Will you bow?